Hey friends, how are you today? My name is Taylor and this is Morbid Academy. This week's episode is sponsored by my love for sharks and this amazing, amazing shark t-shirt that I got from lookhuman.com. No, I am not sponsored by lookhuman.com. I wish I was. I think you should all go to lookhuman.com and buy all the things from them and tell them that they should sponsor me. This week's episode is a doozy. And by doozy, I don't mean that there's like a lot of twists and turns and evidence and things like that, that it's just like mind boggling. It's a doozy in that it took 26 years to solve and that the, the son of the victim was three years old when it first happened. He witnessed it. And then 26, later, 26 years later, he's the one to find the body. Also, just the, the oddness and surprisingness of who believes who in this story. So let's get started. <clears throat> this week's episode is about Bonnie Haim. Bonnie Haim was born Bonnie Lynn Passetto on May 20th, 1969. She married Michael right after high school and and they had been married for about five years before the incident. They lived in Jacksonville, Florida with their three-year-old son, Aaron. And like any of these cases that we hear about, things seem to be thriving and successful, at least from the outside. Bonnie and Michael worked for a supply company that was owned by Michael's aunt and uncle. His aunt, Ivan, was closer to their relationship than most and had witnessed some serious conflict between the two and said that he, Michael, had been verbally abusive to Bonnie. She said that at least one time he became physically abusive to her, saying that they had been in the parking lot fighting and when Bonnie came inside, she was crying and said he slammed her hand in the car door and broke all of her nails. Those close to Bonnie, like Ivan and Bonnie's sister Liz, said that she had had enough and was planning on leaving Michael and taking Aaron with her. She opened up a secret bank account so she could save up money and had the statements mailed to her at the office. But because they worked together and were basically together 24-7, Michael found out and was completely outraged and demanded that she close the bank account. Bonnie obeyed, but she was still planning on leaving obviously that kind of just like hit the nail on the coffin however that saying goes she was done this time she had a friend keep the money for her and at one point she had actually saved enough up for a down payment on an apartment and, and even enrolled Aaron in a new preschool on January 6th 1993 Bonnie came home from work around 7 30 p.m she had plans to go over to Ivan's house to help plan a baby shower for a friend, but Bonnie ended up canceling. She called Ivan and said that she had to cancel, but she didn't give a reason why. And Ivan stated that she was upset and crying on the phone, but Bonnie didn't say what was wrong or, like I said, why she had to cancel. She then told Ivan that she would see her at work the next morning and hung up. On January 7th, 1993, Police were called to a red roof inn near the airport where an employee had found Bonnie's purse, including her ID, credit cards, and cash inside a trash bin. 
Michael told police that she left the night before after an argument about their marriage. He had gone out looking for her without notifying police of her disappearance and only said something when the purse was found at the motel. He had even called his mother, Carolyn, to come over and watch Aaron while he searched, but he only searched for about an hour and again, didn't contact the police. Michael had also called into work that morning saying that both him and Bonnie wouldn't be in, but didn't say that she left or that she was missing. Ivan has said that Michael had never seemed very concerned about Bonnie's disappearance. He was actually more concerned about the amount of money that was found in her purse, which was about $1,000 in cash. And why would she have that much on her at that time? And looking back, it's most likely because she was ready to leave and that was the amount of cash that she wanted on her to leave or needed on her to leave. Police searched the area and later found Bonnie's car at the Jacksonville airport, which again was close to the motel where her purse was found. And the police saw that the driver's seat had been pushed back to fit someone much taller than Bonnie, as well as a dirty shoe print on the driver's side that belonged to an uncommon Nike sneaker size 10, the same type of shoe that belonged to Michael. Now, Bonnie's father, Robert, actually defended Michael. Neither he nor Bonnie's mom believed that she was a victim in this. They truly believed that she just abandoned her family. And when Robert was told about the shoe print in the car, he just brushed it off and said that his own shoe print would be found in his wife's car, which is fair. But at this point with his daughter missing and small pieces pointing to Michael and the fact that she had left, her purse was found somewhere else. If she was the one who left and was supposed to be the last one to be driving the car, why would the, the seat be pushed back so far with that shoe print? And on the other hand, Ivan was one of the Bonnie's closest friends, Michael's aunt, and had fully believed that Michael had something to do with her disappearance. It's just odd seeing how neither side of the family had faith in their own direct family member. Like Ivan is the aunt of Michael, fully believed that Michael did something to Bonnie. And then Bonnie's own parents believed that Bonnie left and just abandoned her family, which she never would have done. Like I said before, she would have, she was saving up money to get away and to take Aaron with her. So at this point, police only have Bonnie's purse and car, but then they realize that they may have a witness. Bonnie's three-year-old son, Aaron. The lead investigator brought in a child psychologist to speak with Aaron and wow, did he have a lot to say. Aaron told the psychologist that his parents had a fight and that, quote, daddy hurt mommy, end quote. Other investigators say he also said daddy shot mommy, daddy places, placed mommy in time out, and daddy couldn't wake mommy up. That's terrifying. If this was a horror movie, kids in horror movies are terrifying. This is real life, but you know what I mean. Kids in horror movies are terrifying. Never trust a child in a horror movie. But back to this case, trust the child. Aaron also drew pictures of his father shooting his mother. And in the interview, the psychologist asked, quote, can you show me where mommy was hurt? End quote. 
And Aaron replied, quote, in her tummy, end quote. And what's even more disturbing, if that didn't disturb you enough, is that when he was asked if he could remember what Bonnie was wearing that night, he said, red blood. That poor child. Later in life, he does say that he actually, he doesn't remember that night, which, thank God. But at the same time, he has stated that he was traumatized by that moment, basically. Even if it, like, he doesn't remember it. Trauma has a way of getting into your brain. So, of course, police are thinking that Michael shot Bonnie in the stomach and that Aaron may have witnessed everything. But in cases like this, there's a, there were professionals questioning regarding the testimony of children. But professionals also say that children generally, generally, I can't say that word, do not lie and they don't lie about what happens to them. I mean, especially at three years old. How many three-year-olds do you know actually lie? And if they do lie, they don't like automatically like smirk or laugh because they know it's a joke or they're not being serious when they do it. And after everything that Aaron said, Bonnie's father, Robert, still believes in Michael. He doesn't believe anything that Aaron said. He said because Aaron at one point said that his mom's car was in a lake when it was actually found in the airport parking lot. So he got one little itty bitty thing wrong, most likely because he wasn't there in the car with his father when his father did something with Bonnie's body. Again, he had his mother come over and take care of Aaron while he went to go look for Bonnie. But of course, there wasn't enough evidence for investigators to arrest Michael at that point. In 1994, there was a custody hearing over Aaron and Michael lost, and Aaron was put into foster care. Other things I saw said that he was actually sent to live with his aunt Liz, Bonnie's sister, but it was because it was believed that it was best for Aaron to be away from his father. And in 1999, Michael lost all parental rights. Aaron was officially adopted at the age of six. And again, Bonnie's sister, Liz, was heavily involved in all of these decisions. So it's good to know. When I first heard of this, I didn't hear about that. So it's really good to know that his family was still there for him, wanted the best for him, and just maybe couldn't take care of him themselves. And so they were able to get him adopted and into a loving family. When Aaron was six, he asked his adoptive parents if they could go look for his mom. And when they said yes, he went to the garage and grabbed a shovel. He stated in 2019 that, quote, I have always known that my mom was buried. I just didn't know where, end quote. In 1999, Bonnie Haim was declared legally dead. And a few years later, a wrongful death lawsuit was filed against Michael and he lost. He was ordered to pay $15.3 million to Aaron and another $11 million to Bonnie's estate. Who knows how much he actually paid because I'm pretty sure he didn't have however much that is. I'm not doing the math. Just laying around. Aaron also received ownership of his childhood home in Jacksonville, 
which Michael had been using as a rental property. Aaron was a teenager at the time, and so he just continued to use it as a rental property for about the next 10 years. Now, December 2014. Aaron's now in his mid-20s, he's married, has a life of his own, and the rental property needed some fixing up before the next round of renters came in. So he and his brother-in-law went to the house and decided to do some construction in the back where there was a pool and an outdoor shower. They rented an excavator and started demolition. When the excavator drove over a slab of concrete by the shower, it began to crack apart. So Aaron took a sledgehammer to it to break it up more for easily disposal when he accidentally broke a pipe. Awesome. Another thing to repair, right? Well, when he started digging to look for the pipe, he found a plastic bag. At first, he didn't think much of it because French drains are enclosed in plastic bags to help protect it. But when he ripped it open, he found what looked like a coconut, but soon realized that it was a human skull. The first thing Aaron did was he, at first he didn't want to call the police because he didn't want a swarm of news and people over there. He tried his wife. He couldn't get a hold of her because it was a Sunday church. And so he called the investigator, Robbie Hinson, who first worked on the case in 1993 and said, quote, I think I found my mom, end quote. And indeed, it was found that the remains were Bonnie's. Investigators found injuries to the pelvis area consistent with a gunshot wound to the stomach, exactly as Aaron had said when he was three years old. They also found the 22 caliber shell in the ground with the remains, the same caliber of shotgun that had belonged to Michael, which was originally taken from him and then given back. Michael Haim at this point was living in North Carolina and was remarried when he was charged in 2015 for second degree murder. Buddy posted bail. Of course he did. The prosecutor said that Michael had the motive, opportunity, and the ability to kill Bonnie. He found out that she was going to leave him and take their son with her, and Michael wasn't gonna let that happen. They also presented a rental property lease agreement from 2000, one that Michael had created before Aaron received ownership. And this is weird. This is where it's really weird. The lease prohibited the renters from doing any landscaping or digging in the backyard, as well as not being allowed to have a dog roam free in the backyard or have free range of the house while the owners were away. So the dog had to be locked in a room or in a crate cause dead bodies smell, right? And dogs have a nose. When Aaron testified in court, he said that he couldn't remember what happened in 1993 and he didn't even really remember Bonnie or Michael. But the child psychologist who had interviewed him in 1993 said that Aaron was able to identify his father as the murderer. Michael's defense attorney argued that there wasn't enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. They also presented an anonymous letter that had been sent in 1997 stating that the body was buried in the backyard, which as we now know is true, but it was never followed up on. The defense attorney said that it was sent by the real killer, but some believe that it could have been sent by someone whom Michael had confessed to. Michael testified that he would never hurt Bonnie and his current wife testified as well that Michael wouldn't hurt anyone. Of course not. His mother also testified saying that he was a Christian and he was raised Christian in a Christian home and loved Christ. Cause that makes a difference, right? 
It only took the jury about 90 minutes to come to a verdict. And in April 2019, 26 years later, after Bonnie's death, Michael was found guilty of second-degree murder. A month later, at the sentencing hearing, Aaron told the judge, quote, I would ask that Michael get a sentence that would ensure that I do not have to be concerned about ever running into him again, end quote. When, he had made, when Michael had made bail, apparently he ran into Aaron at a restaurant in, I think, 2016. Aaron continued to tell the judge, quote, most importantly, I do not want to ever have to worry about him doing harm to me or to any member of my family. I want everyone to be safe from him. The only way to achieve this is for him to spend the rest of his life in prison, end quote. Liz, Bonnie's sister, told the judge, quote, Michael Hames somehow convinced my parents that I was the evil person for taking his son away from him. This turned my parents against me and my children and broke my heart. I lost my best friend, my sisters, and my parents in the same week. I had to build brick walls around my heart and couldn't mourn them. I had to stay strong for Aaron and my children. I couldn't say or do anything that would have the appearance of leading Aaron's testimony. I was only 26 years old, alone and terrified that Michael would fatally hurt someone else in my family." End quote. Michael Haim was then sentenced to life in prison, and he was sentenced only a couple days before what would have been Bonnie's 50th birthday. A month after he was sentenced, Bonnie's story was featured on an episode of Dateline called She Never Left, and Robbie Hinson, who was the lead detective on this case, was featured on both of the episodes. He was retired at the time that Bonnie's remains were discovered, but he rushed to the scene anyway. In the summer of 2019, Bonnie was finally able to be laid to rest in a private ceremony for just her friends and family. Unfortunately, there are still assholes out there who believe that Michael is innocent. How? I don't know. I don't know if Bonnie's parents still believe in Michael. How? I mean, how at the very beginning could you believe that your own daughter would up and leave her son? Just abandon them? I, I don't get it. Also, Michael's mom, Carolyn, she was asked, going back a little bit, she was asked by Michael to come over and watch Aaron while Michael went to go look for Bonnie the night that she disappeared. But he was only away for an hour. How much did she actually see? How much did he actually know? How long was he actually gone? Mm-mm. 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 She knows something. I mean, he's in jail, so he's in jail for life. So he, he gone. So I guess it doesn't really matter if the, if his mother actually knows anything or not. Cause again, for life. I mean, can you believe that? Can you believe being three years old, witnessing all of that? thankfully forgetting it and then 26 years later finding your mother's remains that's just and obviously he was traumatized he said that he's dealt with depression since he was a teenager obviously there was one thing I read that said he um felt lost and that he was always looking for his mom he didn't feel lost physically but I guess mentally maybe which makes sense. But I am, I'm glad that Bonnie finally has justice. I mean, it was only two years ago now that he was sentenced. Um, I hope that Aaron is, I hope he got some therapy at some point, but I hope he and his family 
are doing good and they're moving forward, I hope they're all moving forward, can be, like, can just put their minds at rest, to rest, whatever that means, whatever the sayings are. I jumble all of them. But that's Bonnie's story. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you liked it. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you rate and review podcasts. It really helps me out. It helps the podcast get out there and people find it. Helps me know what I'm doing. It helps me know what you guys like, what you want. And please always tell me, email me, Facebook me, Instagram me what you want to hear. And as always, you can find Morbid Academy on all podcast streaming services with new episodes out every Friday. And you can head over to morbidacademy.com to find all the links to those streaming services. You can head over to Facebook or YouTube for the videos that accompany the episode and watch my beautiful, beautiful face and look at my podcast corner and look at the shirt that I'm wearing. That's a shark shirt from lookhuman.com go there and tell them to sponsor me. And those videos come out on Saturday. If you'd like to see the episodes early, get exclusive content and first looks, you can head over to Patreon and please consider donating to patreon.com slash Morbid Academy. It would greatly help me out with, with the podcast, with getting stuff to you all, um, more exclusive content. I want to do lives with you guys one day. I want to do merch. I want to be a podcaster, y'all. Come on. And as always, you can follow along on Instagram and Facebook at Morbid Academy. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you keep it creepy, friends.